This is Runehammer. simple thing to understand or dismiss, and their link to the elementals, air, water, earth, and fire, should never be underestimated, and so we approached the island. The remnants of that pirate crew far behind us, and the former captain down in the crushing black, we were alone facing a jungle unpenetrated by modern folk, or even folk at all for all we knew. And so we went forward, up the sand and through the trees, ever feeling eyes upon us, until in a valley that had not seen the light of day since day had fallen on this world. We saw those strange ruins, impossible angles, odd cubic shapes, towering but tumbling, older than the oldest thing, blacker than the space between the stars, and against all wisdom we approached. Our elven envoy, strange with intent, her tiara, which we knew was somehow linked to this purpose, began to glow with arcane energy. We approached, and those pillars, formed together by some type of masonry long lost to this world, if even from this world, haunted us as we walked down the colonnades and the causeways of some city built for giant beings. A blue, watery energy was all around us, crawling up every surface, rippling. Even on the backs of your hands, on the tops of your boots, you could see this strange, translucent fire, and the elven princess took on a new property, and in her eyes I no longer saw a mortal creature, but a clicking, spinning, cubic machine. They were one. The elven princess and that device, that object we found at the center of that blasphemous place. And as she lifted it above her head and the great dark lightning gathered around us, she announced its name, a name I dare utter only once more before taking my own life. RPG mainframe. Greetings, programs. It's old Hankerin Fernale here, Ingrid Bernal, up in northern Runeham area, reporting back 
for RPG Mainframe episode 28. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. And uh, hey, welcome all new patrons. Throwing a few uh, ducats in the skull for old Ingrid. Thanks for that, guys. Keeps me painting, keeps me working, keeps me making stuff. If you guys haven't downloaded the free print and play PDF of, um, what's it called? Game of Skulls. If you haven't downloaded that PDF, you should do so. It's cool, man. So uh, it's kind of like a no prep game. Uh, it also is kind of built to run with uh, volume four of ICRPG. So you get that little bugger, print all those cards out and cut them up, get them ready, get them in a, ra a nice random setup so you can draw them and then sit down with your players. They build players with the cards from Game of Skulls, get a handle on the dice mechanic. It's super simple. Then as you draw cards from volume four, you just invent mechanics. So like a bear swipes the party. Everybody makes a save. If they fail the save, they all take 1d6 damage, so on and so forth, and just run it down like that. Tell yourself a crazy story. The times that I've played it, uh, the stories have been completely different and played out in a really fun way. And we've had some hit point like battle grinding, but we've also had some really weird encounters happen that had nothing to do with damage and combat, but getting through challenges in different ways. So let me know what you think of Game of Skulls. I think it's a really fun little sort of micro game and maybe can inform new versions of it that you guys can make for yourselves about how you can do character creation. You can do a different theme. You can do a fantasy theme, sci-fi. But the dice mechanic, I think you'll find, is very fun, very friendly for uh, casual players and fun for the whole family. Anyway, just wanted to get that out there. This is Mainframe 28. And what are we talking about today? We're talking about none other than Gen Con. Let's get that Gen Con recap music in here, can we? That'll do for Gen Con intro music. They're getting a little crazy. Now, I just wanted to, on my way home, I'm on the plane, right? And I'm kind of decompressing. I had like a bit of a sniffle and a cold. I was kind of stuffy at Gen Con. I still am, to be honest. Gen Con can take a lot out of you. Tell you what, you got to watch out. Best four days in gaming, hardest four days of the summer. You're drinking, you're talking, you're yelling, you're running around, you're walking. Like I think the first day we walked seven miles in the, in the con. It's like uh, 14,000 steps or something like that. Okay, anyway, anyway, what are we talking about? So I'm on my way home on the plane, and I just got the laptop out, and I broke out as many notes as I could about the experience while it was fresh in my mind. Okay, so I just want to share those with you guys. Now, first of all, let me just say Gen Con is really amazing. If you haven't gotten the chance to go, it's really fun. It's kind of chaotic because there's so many events and there's so many things to see that sometimes it can be hard to choose one or two things because if you choose one thing, you're going to miss another thing, so on and so forth. But after you go, this was my second Gen Con, and I can tell you, I Gen Conned a lot better than I did the first time. The first time, I was just confused the whole time. I didn't know what I was doing, just dinking around. This time, we went to play games, and we like zigzagged every square foot of that uh, vendor hall, which is, by the way, totally worth going you know how some some cons you know the sort of the mall or the vendor the vendor exhibit hall um can you know just feel a little bit like a, a mall or a store but not this one this is like a gigantic just shopping mecca and you want everything there <laughs> so 
you know, some people have like carts that they're cruising around, like there's all these games and these huge bags and stuff, just crazy. Anyways, really fun. Overall, had a freaking blast. Drinking in the uh, beer garden is always really fun. Uh, after hours, like hotel room games and playing in the hotel restaurant, down in the hotel bar, playing junked the first night with some randoms. Um, just had a blast with the whole thing. The food was great. And uh, props out to my man Steve and, of course, Chuck and Rose and uh, Chris for meeting up with me. Yo, 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 my man, what up? And then, uh, oh, geez, met up with old John Bennett there, hung out with him for a while. And then Ty came back, played some fi- uh, 3.5e with us. Uh, we played Tiny Epic Defenders a bunch. We played Tiny Epic Quest, but kind of failed to understand the setup of that game. A little too complex. We played One Deck Dungeon. We um, watched a few rounds of Hail Hydra. We watched a round of Monster Apocalypse. We sat in a hotel room. We didn't sleep in because <laughs> we tried to get to the con early. Anyway, woo, what a con. Yeah, what a con, what a con. Okay, so what did I write down in my notes on the flight home and why do you care? First of all, the board game world at Gen Con. Oh my God, the board game world, and we all know this, is exploding. It's huge, the whole Kickstarter scene, the the number of creative minds that are attacking board games is fantastic. The art is getting better, the designs are getting more diversified. Um, it's really exciting to see it happening. It's I To me, it reminds me a lot of what happened to the video game industry in the late 90s. This stuff is popping, and smart people from all walks of life are seeing that this industry is getting more and more legit and more and more room for competition, and they want to get in and have fun with it, and it we're all benefiting from it. So, wow, as you're walking around the floor, so many little innovative ways to use cards and meeples and pips and doodads and, you know, game candy and all this little stuff, little colored cubes and little pegs and whistles and dice and just woo all kinds of cool stuff so that was the first thing is just like the proliferation of the board game portion of our hobby is fantastic now if you're not so much of a board gamer and you're more into uh, rpgs you know classic diy rpgs um fear not because i actually think the gap between these two is narrowing and everybody's going to be having more fun with stuff as this whole thing gains more and more momentum, I think you're going to be able to find that game that's going to fit your taste, whether it be DIY RPG or board game or somewhere in between. You're going to have more and more choices, and that's just awesome. Now, the RPG world, at least from my perception of it in the context of Gen Con, is sort of, in my notes, it says it is still safely less popular. Now, the reason that I describe it that way is that, in a way, I like that. I like it that way. I like my DIY RPG kind of culture or hobby to be a little less popular than Kickstarter board games. There's something soothing to me about that. Now, that means, you know, a little bit more competition. There's a little less, you know, cheddar cheese to go around and stuff like that for publishers and so forth. And that can be limiting. But I still couldn't shake this feeling at Gen Con that book-driven RPGs are still slightly less flashy and less, you know, popularity and uh, notoriety grabbing than the latest board games. And and I like that. That feels good. That keeps us as DIY RPGers a little bit on the fringe, and that's where I like to be. You know, when the mainstream truly arrives at Coriolis or something, that's going to be a little crazy. (laughs) We want, you know... Tales from the Loop and and some of these other games to be a little bit fringe because to me that that's cool that that's like where it's at. 
It doesn't take anything away from how popular the board game scene is. It's just, this is what it says in my notes. The RPG world still feels safely a little bit less popular than the board games. Now, this next one's a little bit negative, but here it is in my notes, so I just got to be honest, right? It says, the buy it all world, in quotes, you know, buy it all, is rapidly, at least to me, becoming very uninteresting. And by buy it all, what I mean is, you know, these sort of games where you need to buy an army starter set, and then you need to buy an expansion set, and then you need to buy a vehicle set, and then you have to buy the paints, and then you have to buy the custom glue, and then you have to buy the play mat, and then you have to buy the box, and then you have to buy the carry case. And then you have to get the, buy the double expansion, expansion pack of the army base starter set. And then they make the second edition starter set. And you need that. And it's just like minis and minis and books and books and minis upon minis. And you would go to some of these booths at Gen Con and, and see this. And, uh, you know, I don't want to like call these games out. And, you know, some people have fun with this stuff. This is just my opinion. But like one of them was a fleet commander, right? And it's this game where you're fighting kind of at low orbit with these like capital ships and little fighter ships. And then you also fight a ground level in the cities with tanks and other stuff like that. But the number of like boxes and doodads and little things, it's a lot like uh, X-Wing is the really big one, right? You can buy like a billion things for X-Wing and still not have all the stuff. Something about this is uninteresting to me. It A, it feels a little bit like a cash grab, which, you know, it's understandable. It's business, right? So I can't really use that as a critique. But then B, it also just, I don't know, something about it just feels like buy all the things. And by the time you have them all, you're just like, oh, boy, there's just so many little things. I got, I got to go home, guys. I'm freaking out. I feel nauseous. <laughs> so I know that some people have a great time with X-Wing and with collecting and with, you know, Warhammer and all this kind of stuff. But to me, it just did not feel interesting. So I don't mean to say that it's bad or lame or anything like that. It just wasn't something that I was spending a lot of time looking at. It just doesn't have a finesse or an elegance that like something that comes in a single little humble box but has all this interesting play and interesting dynamics and mechanics to it. Okay, so next, and these are kind of some headliner items here, I have most intriguing. So most intriguing for me of the entire show were Hail Hydra, which is a new sort of find the traitor type game, uh, obviously that's Marvel driven, really dope art style. Look this game up. You see so much board game art at Gen Con to see anything that has like what feels like a different art style is really remarkable and really stands out. And this game has a dope art style. I really liked it. And then the gameplay, watching some of the gameplay was really cool. Obviously, the presentation of it is impeccable. Like presentation is awesome on almost all board games nowadays. Next, I have Tiny Epic Defenders as most intriguing. Great little game. Oh, my gosh. Now, I really do not like Tiny Epic Quest. I think it's an almost impossible to play game. Very hard to set up and stuff like that. But Tiny Epic Defenders, totally different, even though it's the same publisher. Great little small box game. They'll fit right in your backpack. So awesome. I can't recommend this game strongly enough. Then we got the expansion pack the next day. Sat down and played that and loved it, too. So Tiny Epic Defenders, I love you. Next, Photosynthesis. Love the look and feel of this game. And it actually kind of a uh, little bit of a sneak of one of my later points in the podcast here. Um, solves one of the biggest problems that I see in board games and in games in general, which is like this constant like battle obsession. Like games that aren't just doing battles are really interesting. And Photosynthesis is just about growing trees and it's stinking beautiful. Next up, Playmats. Oh my God, there are so many Playmats coming out. 
And they're really cool because they're almost like instruction booklets in a way. They help you lay out your cards for more complex card games like um, One Deck Dungeon and others. Obviously, people playing Magic the Gathering have been using playmats for a while, but they just kind of have big flash graphics on it. I saw a trend that I really like, which is these nice neoprene playmats, but that have like spaces to lay out your game and like a little bit of built-in instruction. I see a lot of potential here because it's a very pleasant surface to roll dice on and to lay cards on and to play on, but it could also be really useful to just make your game space feel instructive and feel useful with little slots and little places to place things and really, really could see how there's tons of potential in playmats. And I'm really intrigued with it for my own publishing products, too. I want to get into these playmats. I want to make some Runehammer playmats. And who knows what's going to happen on that front. But, man, it was just so cool to see those proliferating. And they're just so pleasant to play on. Finally, there's a board game called Viking, which really had this kind of, you know, big world map with teeny little soldiers on it, kind of like uh, Axis and Allies, but in the Viking world. And I know that that's a pretty old standard, but something about this felt different. The art style felt different. The minis were really cool. And it didn't just feel like a big battle game. It felt like a sort of an exploration and cultural expansion game. And there's just something really interesting. Obviously, I'm a huge sucker for Vikings, but something about this just felt rich. And it's hard to describe, but, you know, when you're looking at, you know, zillions of games all at the same time, you really can feel when one stands out. And this game Viking to me really stood out. Also, just about the entire collection of games from Red Raven, the publisher Red Raven, look fascinating. I don't even need to get into all of them, but there's Islebound and Above and Below. And they just, they really broke the battle problem, I think. And then their art style and their narrative style is just really interesting and fun. And so give them a look. Now, on the opposite side of most intriguing, I have an ignominious category here called least intriguing. Least intriguing things that I saw. And my first thing here is battling things. Oh, my God. The number of things battling of the other things at Gen Con. Ugh. Just ugh. Is so many things battling other things. Like, there's robots battling monsters. There's heroes battling heroes. There's... Soldiers battling monsters, there's soldiers battling soldiers, battling giant robots, battling demons, there's demons battling monster hunters, there's, it's just battling, 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 we're all doing damage, we're all using line of sight and hunting each other down and killing each other, and oh my god, so much battling. Now I know that battling is a big part of our hobby, but man, oh man, do we need to start thinking outside the battling box, so least intriguing, things battling things. Second of all, PvP. I know that a lot of gamers out there love PvP. Rock on. I'm not saying you're doing something wrong or it sucks. I'm just saying for me, I was not intrigued by the PvP scene. Um, I know that when people really master the game, and, and this includes um, you know trading card PvP as well, there's just something about it just, I don't know, just does not like, just doesn't tickle or interest me. And it might be because the paradigms involved in a lot of the mainstream PvP games right now are very, very old. And we might want to see something new and interesting uh, come up. You know, like in Secret Hitler is almost a strange kind of a PvP game. But, you know, traditional PvP, you know, two-sided sort of, you know, me versus you kind of dice rolling stuff. Not very interested in it. Next is War Sims, similar stuff. Uh, Army collecting, as I mentioned before, you know, buy it all type stuff. Unfortunately, painting figs, even though the, the painting there, the quality was amazing. It's really fun to see people doing that live. It just, in my mind, is not really 
going far. It isn't changing in an innovative way that makes your head spin. It kind of just it looks like figure painting from, you know, the last 30 years. So I'm interested to see if that's going to go somewhere, you know, maybe some some better airbrushing tech or, you know, maybe this sort of new primer tech that Watsi's been getting into might get us some more interesting figures. But figures are figures are figures right now. I'm really interested in monochrome figures, and I didn't see anybody really doing that. I saw all fully painted figures, so I'd like to see that monochrome trend uh, evolve a little bit, but who knows? And then finally, uh, we have uh, Magic the Gathering, obviously. It's just these massive tournaments. It's just not interesting to me. I'm sorry all you guys playing that. Rock on, have a good time, but it's just kind of like yawn. Uh, and then finally, X-Wing. Same thing. It's just so much X-Wing. And it's just like X-Wing. And I, I'm sorry, you guys, but Star Wars is just wearing out on me. I'm just weary of it a little bit. Like, even the coolest franchise, can can it really go on for, you know, 40, 50 years? It's just kind of like, oi, oi, oi. So, least intriguing Bringing in the last of the least intriguing category is X-Wing. Okay, coolest items. And a couple of these I just bought myself. But coolest items that I saw, and these aren't necessarily ideas or, you know, you know, full-on games, but just items. First, the Torchbearer Dungeon Master screen. So, or GM screen, I guess it would, would be called. If you guys are into Torchbearer like I am, this is a windfall. Now, this thing came out in 2014, I believe, but I just never got it, and I never knew where it could be gotten, and so don't have it. And Torchbearer is not the easiest uh, conflict and role resolution system to learn, and this is a vital tool for that. So thank goodness for this DM screen. This is finally going to get Torchbearer to my table this fall, maybe this winter, uh, get together with Click down in Tacoma and get this game on the table. Second of all, the 20% upsized dice... Uh, I think they're called Unique Dice Sets or... Uh, no, no, they're from RollForInitiative.com, who they also do markers and battle mats, RollForInitiative.com. They've come out with some dice sets, and they're 20% larger than normal polygon dice sets. That doesn't sound like a big deal, right? But you don't get into jumbo dice, which are ridiculous and gimmicky, and you wind up not wanting at your table because they have too much momentum. They tumble out of boxes and all these other problems. Jumbo dice are also just silly, like it looks like you have some kind of like blurry vision and you need giant dice but the 20 percent upsize is just enough they feel like nice epic dice they're really cool classic plastic some of the corners on the d4s are nipped off a little bit so you don't get this caltrop effect and really really cool dice and they have this almost like soapstone quality really good and you know to make dice interesting is quite an accomplishment nowadays and i found these ones really cool Finally, there's uh, these Adventurer's Journal, and I did not notice the name of this company, so sorry about this, but it's the Adventurer's Journal. This is a, a nice little leather-bound journal with um, like 10 pages of graph paper, 10 character sheets for 5e, and then 10 pages of note-lined paper, and then that little sequence repeats like five times in the journal. So you have like five little sort of campaign chapters that could be filled in and all these are blank and really nice quality the character sheets were super dope and looked so fun to fill in but I was trying to control how much I'm spending but now that I got home and I didn't get one I'm kind of like ooh, ooh, ooh. I want that so that rounds out the coolest items category now lamest items I'm gonna have to say Magic the Gathering playmats these things are just giant Photoshop art that I don't really like the art that much it's a little too overdone and some of that style is feels a little bit like League of Legends, which to me is, you know, sort of five 
you know, or more years ago kind of style and not really liking it. And they're just distracting as hell. Like you have this huge, super colorful graphic on your playmat, and then you're putting all these little detailed cards on it. Oh, it's just like just cutting my eyes with too many colors. Next is all the Fleet Commander stuff. Uh, I just didn't like, I really liked when that game was out on the board. It was really neat. But then when I started looking at Fleet Commander overall, I just felt like, oh, I'm just so overwhelmed. It's like X-Wing, but with weird style. Anyways, Warhammer and Hordes is my next one. I'm just weary of this stuff. Just There's just so many things. And then they, they even have like, like foam carrying boxes for specific large miniatures now. So you not only have to buy the $120 war machine thing, but then you have to buy the foam thing to carry it. I don't know. It just something about it makes me tired. <laughs> and I don't like to feel tired at Gen Con because I'm already hung over. And then finally, Metal Dice. I saw some new spins on Metal Dice and new ways to try to make Metal Dice cooler. And they, they always look all archival and high quality and everything. But honestly, any anybody who's ever taken Metal Dice to the table, they're evil. They ruin things. They ruin rolling boxes. They ruin your battle mat. They ruin cardboard. The things are stinking evil, especially the bigger ones. And I'm just not into Metal Dice. It's really too bad, too, because I loved those Paladins for a while. But nope. Give me my give me my good old plastic, please. Okay, the coolest sort of DIY um, products that I saw. One was called Game Candy. These are really neat. They're like blank dice and really cool, like color-coded um, little plastic cubes and triangles and pips and meeples and all kinds of things for you to make or replace parts to your own games. And really cool quality and just downright awesome for giving out tokens to players or inventing your own games or whatever. Really neat stuff. You should check out Game Candy. And then secondly, this amazing mapping paper. They have like isometric mapping paper as well as large and mid-sized um, paper for doing battle maps and being able to keep them and stack them in these drawers and these nice little cases and stuff for doing mapping and really, really cool. The lamest DIY item I saw is this kind of old-timey journal thing. So it's kind of like they look like journals that, you know, were found in the 15th century or something. They got leather and they're kind of bound, kind of crunky, and the edges are kind of scribbly and stuff. And I understand that this feels like a sort of a wizard's tome or whatever, but I, it's just so, I don't know. Something about it did not feel practical. Like you would be tired of that thing and how it didn't lay flat on the table and stuff like after your first session. <laughs> I didn't like those. Uh, the most common, and you know, I just wrote these categories down off the top of my head. I don't know what I'm doing. Most common thing I saw was li uh, first little colored cubes on hero card tracks. <laughs> I know that's really specific, but this whole thing, which I think Cool Mini or not, is one of the pioneers here, but it's like a little hero tracker or a vehicle tracker or some kind of tracker card. And then you have multiple little colored cubes, kind of like you use in Pandemic to track your experience, your weapons, your damage, and all this stuff. Just tons of games using that idea now, which is a good thing. Another thing I felt is, and I just wrote this down, is just too many stinking minis. Most common to see minis upon minis upon minis. Now, I love minis as, next, as much as the next guy, but the advent of 3D printing, ZBrush technology, and more people being able to make their own minis, the mini proliferation is just nutso. Kind of makes me miss the days of, you know, like the pewter minis. Just so many minis and so many styles is just kind of overwhelming. Next one, and this is something I saw a lot of, unfortunately, is there's just a lot of over-design to get the play target. So let's say your play target is a hack and slash dungeon experience. And then you have all these mechanics and all this nuance and all this stuff that's hard to learn. And oh my God, you know, it's like 
three hour setup times and then you're reading these huge manuals. I just saw that in a lot of games. And I know that that can provide a lot of depth to a game, but I think in a lot of cases, there's more design happening, more mechanics happening than the target really needs. And then finally, all the uh, trading card game stuff, just it's everywhere. Talk about most common. Oh my God, the trading card game stuff is just everywhere. The least common things I saw, like, ooh, look at that, was uh, rock solid uh, map play mats. So for some reason, the wonderfulness of play mats has not really arrived at the map area yet. And I, hey, hey guys, this is a market that is not only a market, but just as a hobbyist would be really cool. Like have world maps and even dungeon maps that are on play mats, uh, or even just like a stone surface that's on a play mat would be so cool for any table would just give things such a luscious feel. Even just a simple grid that's a play mat that's just a map. Really nice, but with that cool neoprene construction, I just didn't see many of those. And when you do see them, they really stand out and they're really cool. Second of all is cardboard minis. I absolutely love the Darkest Dungeon Cardboard Mini Limited Edition set. It's one of my favorite sets of minis maybe ever that I've ever had. It's just bloody brilliant. And I'm just not seeing it. Now, maybe Gen Con is too flashy of an environment for cardboard minis to really stand out. But I think there's a lot more potential in cardboard minis like the Darkest Dungeon ones than is currently being explored. And then finally, and this is the most painful, you guys, one of the least common things I saw was alternative art styles. I just see a lot of art styles falling into the same sort of deviant art kind of look. And that's sad. You know, art is wide open. It can be any kind of style. And like Hail Hydra was one of my favorites. I love the stuff from Red Raven. There are obviously exceptions, but remember, this isn't the, there aren't any category. This is least common. So I just, it was very rare for me to see an alternative style art, art, technique where I was just like, oh man, that doesn't look like anything else. That's awesome. So now as far as like my takeaway on Gen Con, so that's kind of mostly the end of my, my notes, but then my, my takeaway is what I called idea output. And it's kind of like, this is me on the plane thinking, you know, what does this all mean for me? You know, one of the big reasons that I go to Gen Con is not just to have fun and meet people. That's a great time, but it's really to info dump and, you know, data mine, Gen Con, see what the state is of the hobby, play and see the people and see the events and just get a feel for where we're at, you know, and you also watch some of the events after the fact that I couldn't make it to. Feel it out. Where are we at with all this, you know, and there's no better way to take a quick, you know, dip in the great pool of our hobby than Gen Con itself. And thinking about the afterglow of all that experience, I wrote down some things that I want to bring to the hobby. And I want to share those things with you guys, because I think it's uh, reflective of, you know, where I wound up at the end of this amazing experience, which I'm really grateful I got to do. Um, and hey, thanks, Steve out there, by the way, for all you did for me. Um, first of all, I want to put out an ICRPG Platinum Edition. And this would be maybe the best 100 cards from the four card volumes, but put them out on really high quality, glossy tarot cards. I think that there is a home for ICRPG in a really refined form on the, the, you know, the, the hobby level stage on the industry level stage. I think that that art style is very underrepresented. And I think the gameplay style of using cards as sort of thematic or conceptual zones is underrepresented. And I think, it's time that ICRPG, the, the original volumes, 
come out of the DIY section and come into a fully producible product that people can just buy like a giant tarot deck and get that to their table. And I want to offer that. And I think it's important. And I think it would be really cool and very excited about that revelation. And I want to get that done. Next one, I, the note I, I wrote down is neoclassical art style. So I'm walking out of all of this experience, all these seeing all this stuff and looking at all these books and all these board games and all that. Oh my God. And this is the note I wrote is I want to find a way to bring a neoclassical art style to the hobby. And this is basically an art style that has very classical aesthetics, but has some sort of new style to it, new color, maybe even new align sort of value to it. Classical art would be something like Albrecht Dürer or, um, you know, even like the Hudson River Landscape School. These are, you know, traditional art categories that have a lot of potency that could be updated for modern aesthetics and really bring a refined feel to the hobby rather than this feel right now, which is very, um, to me, derivative of the video game art style. And I think that we have more to offer in tabletop than that sort of concept art kind of look. Next one I have, alternatives to equip a hero, do a thing, or smash each other in X environment gameplay models. Finding alternatives to those are something I really want to do, and I would like to invite you guys to put your heads in this with me. An alternative to equip your hero and go do a thing, right? Or smash each other in this environment. That is the theme of so many games and so many encounters in tabletop. There's got to be some wider thinking to be done. And then as a follow-on to this note, I wrote, also find alternatives to hero versus monsters. Hero versus monsters I know is really cool, but dang, is it everywhere. And those writers and creators who find true, innovative, and interesting alternatives to that model, I think are going to plumb a, a, an uncharted and wonderful part or chapter of our hobby. And then finally, I have, this is also the alternatives, and this is my last piece of idea output, find alternatives to array, array your cards to overcome, okay, whether it's an opponent or you're overcoming the game itself with a co-op. Arraying cards is a thing that I see tons of. Now, arraying cards can be very fun, but there's got to be an alternative way. And you know who did this really well is Tiny Epic Defenders. They use cards to create this sort of little ring that's the world. And it's, to me, was a very interesting way to use cards. And there's some, you know, draw and discard piles, which are in, you know, almost all games. But something about that little ring and the way that you move and use counters on it, to me, was just stinking brilliant. So once again, I'm going to have to say game of the show was Tiny Epic Defenders because it solved some of these problems. It stood out. It didn't feel like some of this more typical kind of battle or clash kind of sensations. It wasn't a TCG. It wasn't a mini collection buy fest. Something about it just felt great. 30 bucks goes in your backpack. So if I can recommend one game from the show, it'd be that one. And I just have to thank everybody who met up with me, who played junked um, at Gen Con. We played junked in the cafeteria. We played junked in the, um, in the hotel uh, bar we had a blast. We we played uh, in a couple of different breweries. Um, really had a hoot. The beer garden was a great time. We did not do push-ups this year because uh, it was just, whoa, it was a little under the weather throughout the show. So it was all I could do to just have a great time, keep my voice intact. 
And then the final thing I wanted to talk about is the talk that I did, which is Mastering Dungeon Mastering. So I gave this talk, and to you guys, it'd probably be a lot of familiar material, like using timers and, uh, you know, staying in turns and then doing Q&A with the audience and had a great time. But most of all, I really want to thank everybody that came out to that talk, made it a blast to give. Everyone who had me signing books and bookmarks, that was really, really fun and very humbling. I got to add that that was a very strange and wonderful experience. Really happy that Runehammer is meaningful to people. That's very rewarding. The talk went really well. Everyone was really sort of engaged and we had a lot of laughs and it was a good time. And I'm really looking forward to doing a lot more of those in the future. Going to do some at RinCon. And I think next year at Gen Con, I'd like to schedule five or six of those. I really enjoy doing those. I love engaging um, my readership and my audience like one-on-one, eye-to-eye. It was great to shake everybody's hand and meet everyone in person. And a really just an amazing and humbling experience. And I just can't wait to meet more of you at the cons in the future. And it really is what makes going to the cons truly worth it for me is not giving the talk, you know, sort of being in front of everyone, which is always a thrill, you know, but more meeting people face to face, seeing that people are enthusiastic about Runehammer. That really is the fuel that keeps me going and keeps me wanting to solve all the business problems involved with Runehammer and business challenges to keep on making stuff and making the best stuff that I can. So thank you, everybody that came out to support and say hi and get your book signed and all that crazy stuff. It was really a blast and really, truly humbling experience. And I'm really, really grateful for it. So if you guys can make it to Gen Con next year, I highly recommend it. It was awesome. The level of education cannot be fully stated, even in a podcast three times this length. It's just the amount of data, the amount of experiences, the amount of games that you get to see and even try and demo and watch other people play. And oh my God, just the number of books coming out and uh, just wow, just absolutely wow. Our hobby is on fire and everyone's going to benefit from it from publisher to player. It's just going to be another fantastic year for the RPG life. And, and I personally cannot wait to attack it. And I get the privilege of being a publisher and a creator largely because of you guys supporting Runehammer right here on Patreon. I know some months you need to bring it down to a buck and other months you can have it at $12 and $5 and hey, whatever it takes, every contribution I tremendously appreciate. I thank you from the bottom of my heart and Runehammer is made possible by you guys, my dwarven shield wall, my peoples, my fishy folk. All right, so everybody supporting. Thank you once again. This is Ingrid Bernal. A humble fisherman and painter from the tiny town of Barholm, up in the mountains of Eredrum, signing off. Keep it real. Never steal. You're always going to get a deal. I will see you guys on the internet. This is RPG Mainframe, episode 28, and I'm out. Bow, 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 bow.